0: Looking to generate more revenue and build relationships with gamers worldwide? Let Exola be
1: your guide. Exola, a global video game commerce company, has helped thousands of game developers and publishers of all sizes fund, market, launch, and monetize their games globally and across multiple platforms. To learn more, please visit
0: xsola.pro/aoiaas.
1: Hey everyone, I'm Trent Custers, co-founder and studio director of League of Geeks, and this is the Game Maker's Notebook. I've had a chat this morning with Phil Creefo, who's the creative director of a studio called Awaseb. Now, you may be more familiar with their game Chia. Um, You may have seen the beautiful trailers. It's this stunning game uh, that's an open world action adventure, kind of like toy box or sandbox, um, inspired by their childhood home of new caledonia a small pacific island just off the coast of australia and we do as we are you know usually known to in the podcast go all the way back to phil's first interaction with games we speak about him leaving new caledonia for the big smoke of nice france to do his tertiary education and film and animation and that realization that he wanted to make games in which he pulled his um co-founding partner of our seb cherry out from New Caledonia to France, um, and they the experience of making their first game in the 2010s as an Indies and navigating that, but then releasing that game, Fossil Echo, to almost no fanfare or success. We talk about that experience and that emotional roller coaster of going through that, alongside personal issues that are happening at the time, and how still, even in that moment, they found the ability to move forward, make another game, one bigger and bolder that would become cheer. We speak about their partnership with Calun Knights. We speak about how they then became one of the founding studios of Kepler Interactive, a publisher that is actually owned by the studios that founded it. Um, and Phil and his nine nine member team are like they own a publisher effectively along with six other studios. So it's a super interesting story and we dive into that. But of course then we'd spend a bunch of time talking about cheer the game. We talk about how authentic and and beautiful. It's the experiences in sharing the story of their childhood and of New Caledonia and its complex, nuanced layers that this their incredible homeland has or home island has. We speak about how they engaged local Indigenous leaders and representatives to ensure that their stories and folklore and representation in the game was o- as authentic as possible, even taking their entire team to New Caledonia um, to meet with these people and the choirs that work in the the game and the voice actors. It's an incredibly um, emotional experience and journey and conversation, really special. And then we just dive into a bunch of the nitty-gritty about some of the great mechanics in the game, like the music interactivity. We speak about the way that the game is cinematically framed and and how that actually is, is so effective at sharing this authentic experience and message of New Caledonia uh, it's just a wonderful, wonderful conversation. And from a game developer and his team who have just have one of the most pure and authentic messages behind their game, which is sharing the story of their homeland. And I really encourage you to not only enjoy this conversation, have a listen, but to check out here. It's on PlayStation Plus and Epic Game Store at the moment. So without further ado, here's Phil Creefo of Arwa Good morning, Phil, or good afternoon for you, I guess. Afternoon, yeah. Thank you. How are you? You're out in Montreal at the moment. Yeah, <laughs> we, we we just moved. Well, just moved like a few months ago now. All right, so that's a that's a fun story that we're going to get into for sure. Um, first of all, congrats on the release of Chia. I was playing it the other day. Beautiful, wholesome. I was going to say little game, but <laughs> it's it's not so not so little compared to the size of your team. So absolutely uh congratulations are in order thank you so much
0: um yeah we we get the little game a lot i think the aesthetic kind of you know leans that way but for sure it's it's it is a chunky game
1: (laughs) (laughs) absolutely well look we um as you might know we start this podcast the same way every single time which is going right back to a developer's first sort of interaction with video games. Can you remember your earliest childhood memory with video games, or even the moment when you were like, even if it came when you were twenty or something, when you were like, "This is this is for me," you know, "This is this is this is what I want to dedicate the next however many years of my life to." When did when did the a lovely medium grab you?
0: Um. So the the dedicate my life to it part has come fairly late um i remember the the medium grabbing me as a player around i don't know i must have been eight or nine or something Mm -hmm. and the first game i remember is um odd world abe's odyssey (laughs) first one (laughs) yeah Yeah. which i think kind of brought a lot of kids to into kind of adulthood and <laughs> <laughs> because it was so weird and out there and, and strange and unlike anything we, we would see in movies or yeah. anywhere that it really sparked a thing in that. Okay. Games can be very different and weird and, and fun. And that stayed with me, I think throughout. Um, and then what the, the game that made me think, um, okay, maybe I want to actually make them, not just mm-hmm. play them, was probably probably Minecraft, I think.
1: Oh, wow. What yeah. was it about Minecraft that made you want to make them? Um, or gave you that sort of that moment, that realization? I, I think just the fact that it was made by one guy uh, <laughs> yeah,
0: and that right. it was so huge and full of, you know, whatever you want to to, to
1: possibilities to, to, yeah i yeah. mean it
0: was just so big and so expensive and so crazy and and the fact that one guy made that i i thought like if if i team up with a friend we can make something twice as big <laughs> <laughs>
1: And you gave it your best shot as well. <laughs> it, did, it did it didn't work out. <laughs> all right. So tell me, let's let's go through your sort of your path to you know the founding of our seb and you know um doing all that with your pals. So you this what happened after this moment? Actually let's 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 zoom out a little bit and talk about young Phil growing up in New Caledonia because this this is kind of this is kind of very relevant to the game we're about to talk yeah, about, right? Yeah, for sure. So you yeah. you grew up in, born in New Caledonia, grew up in New Caledonia. Yeah, I was born there. Yeah, and so this is this is the unfortunate part of the podcast is a lot of folks are probably not going to know where <laughs> New Caledonia is, or you know why you know you're one of our clo- closest neighbors in Australia, but you speak French. And so maybe give us before we talk about your game, give us a little <laughs> bit about New Caledonia, Caledonia, why it's so close to your heart. Sure.
0: Th- that's fair. Um, so New Caledonia is a tiny island. Uh, it's in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. It's basically, as you ma- like, like you mentioned, um, off the coast of Australia, r- basically right between Australia and New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very, very small, and it's um, like you said as well, uh, mostly unknown by the rest of the world. <laughs> uh, I think you, being from Australia, you probably had heard of it, but most people from Europe or, or you know, America, they, they. Have, usually haven't um but i mean why is it important to me uh, i mean i was born and raised there yeah. so it's, you know, it's all i knew for 18 years of my life so it that that's so yeah. you were there and you were there until you were 18. yeah i moved i moved uh, to europe for uh, to study oh um, cool because yeah outside of you know high school uh there's no higher studies, well, very limited higher studies opportunity there, so yeah, most okay. people
1: usually go either to Europe or Australia actually. do you have something like uh to do with being um, like your the the link to France with New Caledonia do you have some sort of like link to tertiary education in France as well or any opportunities there or
0: yeah well I mean it we we have kind of a separate education system but it's Mm -hmm. closely tied to the french one yeah so there are like transitioning from a new california school to a french school is is fairly seamless yeah um but it is kind of a different program and different approach to some stuff yeah different curriculum and everything
1: yeah all right so this minecraft moment how old were you when that (laughs) happened
0: uh when did minecraft well i think i probably heard about it in 20 Really, twenty. Ten or something, twenty, twenty.
1: Uh, yeah, I think so, so. Was this when you were in Europe or before you moved to Europe? It, it, it was. It, I was already
0: in Europe, so right. I, I I moved to study uh, film through the animation. Yeah, cool. Um, which was where I I kind of hit the ceiling creatively for me in terms of my skills. You know, I I, I basically what I figured out later is that. I was always inspired by games and yep. all the comic books, the short stories, the stop motion stuff, the short films I ever did were all in one way or another inspired by games oh, wow. but I didn't have I I had no idea that you know games were being made by people like programming was so foreign and so mm-hmm weird that I didn't even consider (laughs) the possibility that I could actually make some. So I kind of went as close as I could, which was 3d animation and, you know, making 3d short films. And I realized at that moment when around that moment, when I I discovered Minecraft, I was like, I have though, like Minecraft is not pretty. You know, I was like, I can like those visuals. I can do, and I can do something prettier. Um, But how do I actually make it, you
1: know, interactive? I think the expressiveness and the success in execution of... You know what Marcus did with not Minecraft's art, art direction, if you want to call it that. I mean, I guess it's it's obviously a cultural mainstay now, so you can and we should, I guess. Um, I think a lot of non-artists and semi semi-artists, so to speak, or like non-confident artists, looked at that and were like, oh, "Okay, no, there's a, there, I can I can do this, I can do this. Yeah. There are possibilities here." It really, um, I I feel the same way about you know. Brendan Chung's games—they're such a, you know, over at Blender Games—they're such an aesthetic achievement, you know, in in all ways, especially, you know, in a cinematic sense. But the, <laughs> the, the models, the the style of the models are just so fantastic that I, I think yeah. that's it's a, probably a folly to look at them and be like, oh, we could do that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's just so it's so inspiring in a very specific kind of way. Yeah, for sure. So you had when you. So, tell us about your aspirations when you, you headed off to Europe. Um, whereabouts in Europe were you as well? Uh, I was in Nice in the
0: Southeast, oh, France. Beautiful.
1: Wow, that's stunning. It is. Well, I, I, it, it's beautiful.
0: I wouldn't recommend it, you know, to leave your <laughs> your young, uh, student years. It's not the most lively <laughs> It's cities. not the party town, yeah. No, it's not.
1: So, um, what were your aspirations at that point in time? you sp- you were talking about film and animation? Did you have aspirations of moving on to Gobelins or like you know being the next you know um, a New Caledonian Miyazaki? or what did you want to do? i I, I, I didn't actually, which is the, <laughs> which is the just the, a kid the thing. taking the next step, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I was passionate about you know telling stories and putting putting them into moving images that mm-hmm. I I liked, but I wasn't like moved and you know extremely excited about making movies. Like I, I I'm not the guy who's gonna rush to the movies to see the latest Pixar or yeah you know that's I I do love them and there there there's great stuff happening in in animation, but it wasn't like moving me. To Mm -hmm. the core and i realized that as i was uh, progressing through those years and by the time i graduated i realized that you know this is not like driving me towards Mm -hmm. anything as a person and Mm -hmm. and i look back on those three years of studying and i realized that every time there was an assignment or something where we needed to do an analysis of a scene i always Found a Just way to make it about, no to make it about games. Oh right! <laughs> to 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 take a scene from a game uh, rather Incredible. than from a movie, or yeah. and and every time I did that, we 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 needed to do an analysis of a uh, movie poster, and I uh, I would take you know game game box art and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So I realized at the end of those three years that I'm ob- obviously like reaching for something that's that's kind of unattainable on a technical sense and and i realized that you know i needed to i needed to either learn how to code yep but i was i was too i was too lazy for that (laughs) i need to learn how
1: to code (laughs) nah we'll find it we'll find another way well you know what was your other way Whatever. my other way,
0: my yeah. other way, which is, of course, the preferred way for me, and I <laughs> wouldn't do it any any different, uh, is that i I reached out to a childhood friend of mine um, who I grew up playing games with, and I think my love for games comes um, in part from those moments playing games with him. Yeah. and the, 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 the those shared um, moments we had. and he somehow, I had stayed in new caledonia and and studied uh computer science so he was a programmer mm-hmm. but we had never that wasn't planned like we had never really talked about okay someday we're going to team up or anything it just worked out and i realized like it kind of clicked i was like we love the same games we grew up playing games together he's a programmer i'm an artist this is, we Thierry? Kind of, uh, this is Thierry, yeah. yeah sorry i, I is was your co-founder it is. yeah jay bois and it was. It just made sense to give it a go. Like we had a few bucks uh to, you know, fund ourselves for a while, and we were like, if we don't do it now and we go, you know, get jobs in the our respective industries or whatever, we might never, you know, do the the, the indie uh, adventure thing. Uh, so we said, okay, let's give it a shot. And, and he joined. Uh, he joined me in France, and we.
1: We started from there, from scratch. Like, we didn't have any experience making games. Amazing. And sorry if I I missed it. Was he in France as well, or did he come across? He came
0: across. He was in New Caledonia, and he he just graduated, and he was like, okay, I'm either going to go work in some New Caledonian bank or whatever. (laughs) And I was like, I'm not going back to New Caledonia. I think it's not the, the best move to try to build something creative. Like, it's fairly... Very yeah, that, that sort of glass ceiling is low in you know yeah. for creators in New Caledonia. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, it, it'll be it would be better to start something in Europe, like to at the time like conventions and stuff like that were mm-hmm. big. Like it was cool to showcase
1: your game on big yeah. events and stuff. This so was around a, 2016 or something. Was a bit before like. 2014 or, oh, or cool. something right yeah yeah that was that was like the peak i remember we yeah. were flying all over the world yep. showing our Mallow at that point in time in the mega booth and Indiecade and that that um the festival circuit as you might call it or the convention circuit was just like it was, wild. That sure. was the indie rite of passage at that time yeah
0: for sure and so we we're like let's not like go to the middle of the pacific ocean where it's going to be impossible to fly to anywhere you know let's yeah. you know stick to France. And so he, he flew in and we,
1: yeah, gave it a shot. Amazing. And so talk to me about giving it a shot. What was it that you, when you sat down you're like, okay, Terry's like, I'm here. What are we, what are we making? What, what did, what happened? Well,
0: obviously we, we shot for the moon and <laughs> naturally. Yeah. yeah. Why yeah. do something small for your first one? Yeah. Of course. So what, what we did is that We were smart in our own way, I guess, because we initially, um, we, like the, the initial concept we had was actually very close to what Chia ended up being. Oh, wow. Um, because those sensibilities and that DNA that you can see in Chia is very much, you know, part of what we grew up playing together and things like Mm -hmm. that. So there's a lot of stuff that was already there back then, but we soon realized that as a two people team for a first project with zero game dev experience it was maybe a little bit optimistic to go for an open world sandbox like physics heavy thing so we were like after like a few months of of prototyping we were like maybe let's be reasonable and scope down and so we kind of took the essence of what we were making in terms of Mm -hmm. the story and the vibe and the art directions and things like that but scoped down to a a more traditional 2D platformer with story elements and cutscenes and things mm-hmm. like that, um, and from there, when once we decided, okay, let's do something more reasonable, it took like probably two, a little bit over two years to make.
1: And um, this is Fossil Echo. Yeah,
0: Fossil Echo. Mm-hmm. And, and so, tell us
1: a little bit about Fossil Echo. What What's Fossil Echo for our listeners?
0: Um, so it's a 2D platformer about a boy on a journey to climb a huge tower. It's, 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 it's kind of a, a a tale, like a fable type story where there's no dialogue. Everything is told through, you know, actions and cutscenes and music and it's very like in a fairy tale, eerie um, art style and and environments. Um, And it's simple puzzle platforming with a little bit of encounters here and there, but it's mostly about, you know, a mood and kind of a, a more esoteric I guess story um, it's a first game what it is it is it's a first game you know with all the flows that come usually come with it um, so it's I close love- to our hearts now with the nostalgia yeah but, but it's far from being a perfect game
1: I love that you can say that and you, that you can look back on it and you can you know ap- appreciate it for that I think you know, I'm 12 years into my <laughs> my first studio, and <laughs> in some ways, I wish we had made just like four or five games before we tried to make Carmelo. I mean, it worked yeah. out it worked out well, but you know, if I you know, I think a lot of us who are sitting at the helm of our own studio sometimes daydream about like, oh, what would I do if I did it all again? And I it I kind of feel like it would be like game a week for a year or something like that. You know, with a with a few crew. I've got a friend um, who remain unnamed, but like they were. Um, you know, in the C-suite at a big publisher and they've left and they're, they're actually um, starting up their own studio now and they're just kind of like co-founder dating and they're doing like making like little prototypes and games with like different folks. And it just sounds sounds so sweet. And I say it to students all the time now, you know, when they come through all people just starting out, it's like, get it out, you know, like get your first game out there, that pitch to ship process together yeah. and having a game under your belt, like, you know, going through the going through that last, you know, like they say, 95% is in the last 5%, right? You you put that game out and go through it with a team. I think it really sets you up for the next one. Yeah, what, for sure. 100%. What, what I, was it I, about Fossil Echo that you know, sort of set you up in that, in that way, do you feel? Like, what were the big lessons that you learned going through it as your first game? Like you talk about looking back on it in a nostalgic way, Phil. Um,
0: well, I, I think the, the big lesson is that a the, uh, the game is always bigger than you think it's gonna be um Mm -hmm. or or maybe i i can't design small games because we (laughs) set out to make it small and
1: it ended up being too big yeah um i think i I can say on behalf of everyone that's not just you phil i think that's uh, (laughs) cool (laughs) (laughs) that's all that's all
0: of us don't worry (laughs) (laughs) that's that's reassuring um yeah i i think i think there's um the big lesson was, and it's kind of boring to to say that now because I think it's it's pretty obvious. But like making a a good a good enough game, I'd say, is not enough for for it to be successful or for it to be worthwhile or, or worth playing. Mm. Um, it, it's not. It's definitely not a, a, an amazing game, but I think it could have been good enough with more, you know, playtesting like allowing ourselves more time to you know listen to player feedback and Mm -hmm. change stuff and tweak and not stick as hardly to our initial vision yeah which i think can be hard to i mean it's great to have a strong initial vision but if you if you don't have the flexibility to adjust based on you know feedback and, and 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 things like that then you you end up with a process that's super rigid and that hurt us i think a lot
1: yeah was it at the end did you was it the classic thing like just running out of time and money and needing to get it out or was it a kind of a bit of like no 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 the games you know you sort of hadn't even really thought to allow for that time for feedback and iteration and just sort of put it out there and then we're like oh shit we should have done that was it like a bit of column a bit of column b i, th- I think it's it's definitely a bit of both it's a bit mm. of like
0: we were confident that the game was s- solid like that we would probably like it if, we, if it came out but that was all based on our assumption and yeah you uh, didn't test those assumptions we didn't test we, we we didn't we weren't familiar with you know the whole process outside of the art and and the programming that comes with making games like marketing or anything like yeah. that was super foreign and we just were like We'll
1: put a game out there. If it's good, people will play it. And obviously, it's not as simple as that. And you self-published that as well, am I right in saying that? Like you didn't yeah. have a publisher on yeah. board Be- or anything. So, you went the whole hog for the first time around too.
0: It's, it's, we didn't know what a publisher was. <laughs> <laughs> was well, like,
1: I, guess, I guess you were self-published then in that case. Yeah, yeah, yeah we were. we were, yeah. yeah. And I guess 2016 as well. I mean, there were indie publishers around, but they were kind of settling into... Who they all were and you know what the landscape was and stuff too i mean yeah i think so yeah and i like you did get i, I remember i remember it at the time like it, it was it did hit the festival circuit and you grabbed a couple of you know nominations and even a couple of awards and stuff like that as yeah. well right
0: yeah, yeah we did i mean the, the game had some strong aspects to it like visually it was great the 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 sound was amazing the the the, the ost is, is really great and and
1: actually one of the best stuff of those couple of years, um, yeah. Was it the same audio crew that you worked with on? I yep. know you worked with the Shell in the Pit on. Yes. Um, but was it a Shell in the Pit on Fossil Echo as well? Oh shit! Yep. I didn't. Yeah, that's amazing. I didn't know that. That's, and that's same nice. same composer as well. Uh, John Robert Matz
0: did the music for Chia. Also made the music for Fossil Echo.
1: I tell you what, we're going to talk about that because like the music in Chia is just unbelievable. It, it really. You know, it really brings the whole the whole thing to, together. It's it's amazing. Yeah. All right, so fossil echo is out. You you, what happens next? It comes out. You have this moment where you're having these realizations, like you know. I mean, when Armello came out, it was like. I mean, it was successful enough for us. If we complain, I guess we're technically assholes. But like, it didn't hit the the sort of metrics that we thought it was going to hit by any means yeah. by like a by a factor of four or something even yep. the reviews or how it was received we had the same thing we kind of even after doing early access and stuff there were things that i think we pigheadishly thought were okay but weren't once it went to a broader market or you know and we had to sort of pivot on that stuff too so i understand that you know that experience of rolling out a game and going through that that emotional sort of journey afterwards um once you once you're done with it so how did that lead into chia what was the what was the sort of connective tissue between the fossil echo and that experience and then spinning up and starting this this beautiful game um to be honest that's the part
0: of the whole adventure that i have the hardest ti- time explaining and, and <laughs> finding a reason for because like you're saying armello didn't hit the metrics you were going for but Fossilico didn't hit any metrics it, it, just, <laughs> it, just, it just it technically right, did yeah. come out it did come out but yeah it, it just it's like if a know, tree
1: falls in the woods
0: but no one's there to hear it right? exactly and yeah. and and that as a creator has someone who has put like a few years of their lives into something it's it's a harsh moment um it's yeah. it's very harsh i was also going through like some personal stuff at the time that was mm-hmm. tricky and it's and interesting it's,
1: how that stuff always seems to happen. Oh, at the same it does time, right? <laughs> for sure. It never like wait. You, you go <laughs> and through so this game launch looks rough. You know, this personal stuff will we'll come back around <laughs> in six months. Exactly. It it was all, you know, piled up at the
0: same time, and and that's where it becomes a bit of a blur. I mm. cannot I cannot tell you why and how we still had the drive to make something else. Hmm. Like, it didn't really make sense for us to keep going. Like, we, we had, we, we, it wasn't successful enough for us to pay ourselves well. So, we had to take jobs on the side. Uh, we both started giving, uh, classes, uh, in, in video game schools and stuff like that mm-hmm. and doing like, like side jobs. Um, and so I don't know where we found the drive to do something else and, and especially something as big. As Chia, you know, like yeah. Fosidico should have been so discouraging, so like that humbling. Lunch. Yeah, <laughs> we should have been like, okay, we tried. Well, maybe let's go to the let's go to that bank, and yeah. I'll go, you know,
1: or let's do yeah. something smaller. Yeah,
0: yeah. And and I don't know. We still had the drive. Basically, the 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 moment I think where we had to scope down Fosidico from the mm. initial vision, I think, was a frustration, and maybe we we saw that as an excuse, you know, we were like, it's because we scoped down that the game wasn't (laughs) successful. Maybe the, the, maybe the initial, the initial vision was. Yeah. It's not me, it's the children who
1: are wrong. (laughs) Yes. Exactly.
0: And so we're like, let's go back to that initial thing that really drove us to actually make games, you know, we Mm. were set out to make that. So let's give it another go. And, and with what we've learned um, on this, let's try to make it more sustainable
1: and to not be dumb basically this time around. And, and so I, um, yeah. I totally relate to that. A, a, a dear friend of mine, um, David Kalina, who founded Tiger style that made like um, waking Mars and other, other amazing games Yeah. once said, we were trying to decide after a mellow what game we should work on And We had like a, a sort of mid-sized, safe game it was still ambitious but it was safe and then we had this other game that you know we ended up signing with private division that never never happened but it was like this big game and i remember david said to me when i was having a chat with him about what to do he just said to me is like the safe games cannot pan out like you can you can take a bet on a safe game and you know scope things down or do the sequel or whatever it might be and they can still not pan out so like why not try the big crazy one you know um and so we we did it <laughs> and it's like it didn't pan out, but like it set us up for these two other games that, you know, we're yeah. working with um, Kowloon on um, as you did, which we'll talk about in a bit. But I think there is there's totally something there in what you're saying that just because like, you know, maybe you took a defeat or something or Fossil Echo didn't work out the way you had hoped. It doesn't doesn't necessarily mean that you should go smaller or should go safer or more sensible or try something else. Like sometimes the answer is going. You know what? We kind of didn't lean in enough, or it's almost at a point where you've like there's there's no sort of low lower to go than if you make this sort of smaller game and you scope it down and and it doesn't doesn't land the way you want. So yeah. why not just I think that's you know life. Life finds a way, right? Like a, <laughs> Jeff Goldblum would say um, in Jurassic Park, and it, and it seems like like it did with you. I totally, totally relate to, and I think it's a completely f- a fair and logical human response to be like, "Fuck it, let's do the thing that's you know dear to our hearts and you know the reason why we're in this." Yeah, that's that. That's
0: basically it. Is like we 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 set out to make something, and it was too frustrating to stop without having like given it. A proper shot so
1: we, we dove back and yeah all right so let's start the chat about chia so first of all before we dive into it um for our listeners who may not be familiar with chia uh why don't you give us a brief give us the elevator pitch for for chia you the best part about this is usually by the time we talk to folks about their games they've been giving the elevator pitch for a good four <laughs> years or something so yeah tell us what Chia is all about
0: um So, Chia is a tropical adventure game uh, set in a physics-driven sandbox open world inspired by New Caledonia, which we talked about a little bit. Um, And basically, the whole game is designed like a toy box where everything is interactive and tactile and analogic. And it's taking you on an an adventure that's kind of driven um, by a story that's inspired by local... Folklore and traditions and cultures and and takes place in a world that's you know also inspired by New Caledonia in that we recreated iconic landmarks and 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 things like that.
1: Hell yeah, and it's it's just a just a beautiful 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 game. And I mean it not just in the aesthetic sense, but like in the the heart and soul in it. So. Tell me about those first beginnings of Chia. You have this moment where you're kind of like, oh, fuck it, let's do the, let's, you know, let's dive in like, the, you know, yeah. the reason that we're here in the first place. Yeah. Um, how did you and Thierry get started?
0: Um, so we, basically we sat down and by the time Fossilico launched, we had started the studio uh, mm-hmm. to kind of make it official and we decided to call it Awaseb, which is New Caledonian slang. It means kind of like it's all good or, yeah, no worries, yeah. basically. And that wasn't, like, Falsicco is not inspired by New Caledonia at all. That wasn't what we set out to do, you know, early on. But it kind of seeps seeped its way into us and the studio. Um, I think the distance from the island, it was like nostalgia kind of builds up and you kind of get. Yeah, a bit of homesickness, like yeah. making and so. In the game sure, and and so we kind of, the first element of that is the name of the studio, and then mm-hmm. a few a couple months after that, we sat down and we were like, okay, the studio is called said What's our voice? You know, what's the story we're um, we can tell that's going to be different, that's going to be fresh, that's true to ourselves, that only us can tell, and we had both been away from New Caledonia for maybe not 10 years at that point, but like at least like probably five years. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Five years, a bit over five years for me, I think. And it was enough to realize that, okay, there's that culture that we grew up in. Mm -hmm. And you know, you, when you, when you grew up in something, you kind of forget, you got to get numbed (laughs) to it. But the fact of going away kind of, rekindles that thing and at that time it was very very much the moment where we realized okay our childhood wouldn't wouldn't have been the same if we didn't grow up there Absolutely, makes the heart grow fonder as they say right for sure and we're like okay that's probably what makes ourselves different um maybe not the only thing but that's that's an important part of our identity it's right there in the name even though we hadn't thought about chia yet we it did you know happened through the name and so we're like let's dive let's dive into this and and make it you know the the center pole of what this game's going to be is going to be that cultural inspiration and that was i think one of the first the very first pillars that we established outside of it's going to be in you know physics based open world um was that cultural inspiration
1: hmm. that's it's such a fantastic seed you know for for a game it's, yeah. just, it's such an, a, an amazing gravity well of ideas and, you know, and inspiration, I can imagine. So yeah, when it, you first like when you first put that flag in the ground, what what were the things that immediately come to your mind as kids growing up on this, you know, this stunning. And by the way, everyone, New Caledonia, if you don't have the image in your mind already, <laughs> it's like you're. It's like your typical Pacific island as well with like a bunch of, you know, U- European architecture and influence, obviously, because of the French um, French influence there. But if you're thinking about Vanuatu, Fiji, all these incredible, you know, azure crystal blue tropical islands, like <laughs> you, you got a pretty good idea of what New Caledonia yep. looks like. I think it would be pretty easy to miss a place like that uh, when <laughs> you're sitting in Nice, France, you know, after just having your your game release yeah for sure and and that's that's
0: interesting because um, that's very true what you're saying mm. but but New Catalonia is also like so much more as well, which was the reason why we thought it would be a, a super super interesting that layered complexity to it, yeah 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 we, we thought that it has that you know tropical white sand. Mm. Blue lagoon type of environment, but also a lot of other biomes, like you have those red dirt plains that look like completely Martian. You have those wet rainforest, like tropical forests type environments. like you have like dry savannas like that look completely uh, out of an African you know wow. uh, landscape and stuff like that and and we realized that this is such a good inspiration for an open world game where you want variety, but also kind of a, yeah. a, a synergy of, of different things that that feel connected, but also that feel very different when you're in the middle of them. And, and that was that was the first thing I, I think that that kind of clicked for us is that we grew up in, in like doing very different stuff in those very different environments. And that translates like very easily to a video game environment.
1: You grew up in an Unreal demo already, <laughs> basically. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so like, so it's these these biomes that are sort of coming to you and everything, but let's, because I, I want to, something for folks who haven't played the game that really stands out is Chia's relationship as a, as a game and experience to the indigenous peoples and culture of New Caledonia. So, if, you know, which I can imagine um, for those of you, who aren't familiar with phil phil i'm assuming you're not one of the indigenous people of new caledonia so yeah so not only is it such a such a beautiful thing to explore but also (laughs) there's a complexity there in regards to who even is exploring it or how you go about doing that so talk to us a little bit about now that we understand a little bit the complex layered nature of a place like new caledonia uh and it being your inspiration uh yeah. Let's 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 talk a little bit about that aspect of things and how you all went about that. How how mm-hmm. you how you decided that that was going to be this sort of like center pool of the game.
0: Yeah, um, that's that's a great question. That's one of the the topics that I think we had the most back and forth about. Um, the I think the easy trap to fall into when you're doing Something like any story that's inspired by a specific culture is to like go heads on into the folklore, the legends, the myths, and to go full in on that and maybe you know retell a, a famous local um, story or you know kind of flare up that very well known you know myth and and, and to dive into the fantastical elements of it. And Mm -hmm. we definitely do have some of those in the game. We also have like magic and and, and more, you know, fantasy type elements. But yeah, we really wanted, we set out to make a game that felt like our childhood growing up there. Mm -hmm. And so we felt it was more truthful to that, to portray New Caledonia as we know it, which is the modern New Caledonia with, you know, all the different cultures and all the different influences from immigration and from all around the world that blended into something very unique.
1: And, and it really feels like that. Like the game, as you're playing it, you're going from like scene to scene or area to area and interacting with different people. It feels, and even like the, the music that you're playing as to in the game, because, you know, music is like a large part of the game. Yep. Um, the tapestry is, is incredible and how I think something not having been to New Caledonia, ashamedly considering how close (laughs) it is. I fly over it every time I go to America. Um, It it feels, as much as I can imagine, like really true to that tapestry of cultures that you're talking about in New Caledonia. And it feels like a real... success i want to say or achievement in how well and how seamlessly they're integrated in the game it really feels like this place that's a melting pot of these different people and different experiences and perspectives and histories
0: thank you yeah for sure and that was the goal all along and to be honest it's also it's also very um romanticized like an idealized version of the actual place because we were designing it through that prism of childhood uh you know it's told you're playing as a kid and through a
1: child's eyes
0: yeah and it it echoes our childhood there so it's very much not truthful to you know the actual real place um but it is you know what what the place is in our hearts basically and it's a very positive and optimistic rendition Hmm. of
1: of that place we grew up to love how um and okay and so let's let's go go back a little bit to the the indigenous side of things because yeah. i imagine as a kid like growing growing up um and it's it's a really it's a really amazing approach to it that i i think that you've taken as well in regards to telling your perspectives of like you say not just going we're going to tell the indigenous story of the yeah. island or whatever but your own through the eyes of your experience as a child uh, growing up and interacting with these different cultures and peoples and your own, obviously, in New Caledonia or all this at your own in a big way. Um, but I imagine and I know that there is a large degree of consultation as well, right, with yeah. different folks there. So talk me through a little bit of that process of how you ensured that when you did move into those indigenous areas of the game or when you did reach into that folklore that obviously is a huge element of the story that you're telling you know you wrote and directed the game as well phil yeah. um how did you go about doing that right or with respect to the local peoples um so
0: basically um i really wanted to you know of course it, it's kind of obvious but i i really wanted to portray all the cultures that we have in the game in in an, albeit idolized, but also like truthful and and accurate light. Mm -hmm. And those indigenous culture, even though everyone who's grew up in New Caledonia knows them well, um, like a lot of the languages has seeped into New Caledonian French and a lot of the customs and expressions also are part of, you know, day-to-day life. But at the end of the day, I'm not a Kanak. Person um, and, and the I Kanak didn't are
1: the indigenous folk. Yes, New yep.
0: and, and and because of that, I didn't feel like a hundred percent legitimate to tell a, a Kanak focused story. But yeah. it was also super important to, of course, portray the Kanak culture in the game because it's a big part of New Caledonian culture. So mm. what what we what we did is that we had. Um, we knew a lot of folks there, uh, mm-hmm. who were very supportive of the, the endeavor up front. But mm-hmm. when the time came to write the actual stories and the dialogue, we reached out to, um, a, a musician and translator then who has become a great friend. Now, uh, was called Toan Tomaja who plays a character in the game and sings a few songs in the games as well. And mm. he, translated the script and provided cultural feedback on the story and the character arcs and the relationship between the characters. Um, the Kana character, I might say, because he, uh, some arcs in the game are very much focused on you know other cultures which he didn't um, have input on. So yeah. he, he told us, you know, if something worked, didn't work and we adapted and at the end of the day, he was so happy with the story that he was super eager to actually participate in the game through songs oh, and amazing. through playing a character and things like that. And
1: Incredible. when,
0: yeah, it was, it, it's a really, really great relationship that we built. And I think he's the person who championed the game the most in the community on mm-hmm. the island. And that has, that's been really, really great. And when we, we went to New Caledonia late last year, The whole team as well, by the way, which is really cool, right? So give us a little bit of background on that just for a second. Sure. Well, so we did a team trip there. Um, In an ideal world, we would have done one earlier, like at at the start of production to, you know, gather references to kind of let everyone be emulsified Mm -hmm. by the place and things like that. The reality is we didn't have the resources to bring everyone early on.
1: Yeah, across the um, other side of the world, right? Yeah, yeah.
0: it was a very, very logistically complicated trip. So what we did is that we did have, you know, myself, Thierry, and uh, three other people from the team are from New Caledonia. So that mm-hmm. core, we made sure that those people were able to transmit as much as possible about New Caledonia mm-hmm. to the rest of the team who had never been. It mm-hmm. wasn't only about, you know, opening books and checking out image reference references and things like that. We really wanted them to you know, get the nitty gritty of what the culture is actually about and what day to day Mm -hmm. life is about. So we made, we did our best to, you know, give that to them, which they really latched onto. And they're, they're, they're more New Caledonian than me in many ways now. Um, (laughs) but that, but that wasn't enough for us, you know, even though that, that was great and that allowed us to make a really great game, that wasn't enough. And so we really felt that the rest of the team needed to experience the culture firsthand as well. And, they deserve to meet the folks who worked on the game from New Caledonia, like yeah. the voice actors, the musicians, the, the, the technicians who did the, the voice recordings and things like that. So we, we planned the trip. To, we were probably like 75, 80% done with the game at that point. Um, but that trip was more of a human thing than a production thing. No. Um, yeah. But Inverse it did... yourself it, in the place. Yeah, for sure. And, and it did end up uh sparking some changes some some huh. adjustments in the actual game um but thankfully the, even without that trip up front we were able to transmit enough to the rest of the team that the game was really faithful uh we mm-hmm. kind of you know held ourselves accountable for making making the game you know uh accurate yeah um, And so yeah we took we took everyone and they got to you know visit the landmarks that we recreated in the game meet with Mm. the the local choirs and the singers and the voice actors that they animated uh characters on top of the the voices and things like that and it was a very emotional moment um it was Mm. a very it it didn't feel like the end of the adventure because we still had a bunch of work to do on the game but it
2: was
0: (laughs) it was very it was definitely a milestone for for everyone in the team and it was also a moment where yeah and it was also a moment where because the game was far along and we had a lot of stuff to show Mm -hmm. there's something um um in New Caledonia, that's called the coutume, which is kind of a ceremony, yeah. a, a traditional ceremony where you offer um, appreciation through gifts and uh, words to someone hosting you or helping you, or, you know, it's basically a gesture of respect and appreciation and friendship and and kindness towards someone. And you usually receive one back too, and it's really codified and really important in the Kanak culture. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we are able to go to Lifu, which is one of the smaller loyalty islands where the Jehu language is from. The Jehu language is the Kanak language that's spoken in the game. Mm -hmm. And we're able to go there and present through a coutume, present the game to the locals, um, to the local traditional authorities but also to the local people because basically like 90 percent of the island gathered to you know be there and and spend that moment with us and we presented the game and we basically get you know validation from those folks Um, and that's in big part thanks to Thoan that I mentioned earlier who was able to champion the game and
1: to you know be your advocate internally yeah like yeah
0: yeah, for sure. And that moment was very very important for, you know, the whole legitimacy of telling that story. Mm. That was of course a topic and a question for
1: us. Um so yeah, that was that was an important part of the of the trip. Yeah, I can imagine how emotional and how incredibly <laughs> like you know, they being at the end of the game in that moment and I I mean, what a what a manifestation of like some of the things that people I think every game developer would love that if they had an island that they could go to where people For approve sure. or disapprove yeah. of, you know, the game <laughs> that they're making in this big, beautiful, like, ceremony. I, I, it wasn't like a gladiator moment where there was, like, the thumbs up or thumbs down <laughs> no. moment or anything.
0: <laughs> no, it, it's, it's not that intense. But, it, I mean, with the, the reality is that they, they, they embraced the thing with open arms. Like, it was super, super, super positive. It's incredible. Um, the, the local people, they were really hyped about what we were making. It was most stressful for us, you know, I don't know, yeah. there's kind of a pressure when you're portraying a certain culture, especially a culture that hasn't been portrayed in virtually any media, you know, there's like, yeah, there's a, a form, there's a form of respect and, and, and weight from the responsibility of doing that that I think like was stressful. Uh, but, I think the, there's the also moment,
1: yeah. No, sorry, continue.
0: No, no, I was like, but the moment where we realize that oh, they are, they are not skeptical about what we're making. You know, they're yeah. embracing it and they understand where we're coming from with it and things like that.
1: Was so liberating and yeah, it's it was, incredible, it was great. And it's and it doesn't. I think there's 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 a natural fear there as well. You know, in regards to not wanting to. No matter no matter the lengths that you go to, you know, to ensure that you do something respectfully, even having people on your team or the consultation or whatever, like no no one person or no one authority really speaks for the entirety of a culture or the yep. entirety of a identity or the entirety yeah. of a community and so to actually you said it's 95 percent of the island there i think that's a pretty good representation um or you know one of the best ones you're going to get and to have the yeah. yeah like 85 percent of the way through the game it must have been absolutely nerve-wracking and exhilarating and incredibly emotional moment how special yeah for sure now we're talking about resources and that you couldn't get over there uh, a while ago, you know, at the start of the game, but you're obviously able to make it happen with the team almost at full size later on. Yeah. Um, and I imagine that's in, uh, what do you call it, that we have a lot of thanks to give to your pals at Kepler and Kowloon for that. So let's let's talk about the relationship between yourselves and Kepler and Kowloon. We've had a couple of studios um, on who've either been funded by Kowloon Knights, who are an mm-hmm. independent games fund, um, but also, you know, associated with... Callow Knights is Kepler, uh Kepler yep. Interactive, the publisher, who you're also a part of your wonderful studio at yep. our Seb. So tell me about how that relationship began and when Alexi and, and his pals started, you know, skulking around your studio windows and you know. <laughs> <laughs> um so it goes
0: back to 2018, I think, where we had um like I mentioned, Thierry and I were, you know, doing side jobs and prototyping on the side. Mm-hmm. At the end of 2018, we had like a decent prototype for Chia. Um, and we started, you know, sending out pitches for the game. Yeah. Uh, and at the same time, like very close to us starting to to pitch the game, there was, I think it was a Polygon article that was Kowloon's kind of reveal and kind of, hey we yeah. exist we're we're funding you know the new Teddy Dif game and a bunch of other cool stuff and I was mm-hmm. like that's that sounds super interesting. You know I like that that I like that lineup. I like those names I like that approach yeah. and so I reached out. Um, we we had other discussions with other publishers but mm-hmm. nothing was you know clearly taking shape at that point. So I I reached out and and what struck me was how smooth the conversation went from the, that first cold email, you know. Mm-hmm. And I got an answer super quick. I got in a call super quick. I got to make Alexi fairly quick too. And this is Alexi Garavarian, the CEO. Yeah. Yep. And being French, he had uh, some, you know, knowledge and sensibilities uh, about New Caledonia, which oh, course, other publishers yeah. we had talked about didn't um and i don't know it just clicked and it just made a lot of sense um and yeah it, it was just a very different experience from the other discussions we've had until then um and and there was an openness and a i don't know an understanding of where we were coming from that was really reassuring too like i i emailed from my you know, personal hotmail address. We didn't have like a proper, you know, <laughs> studio thing going on, but they didn't care, you know, they were hyped about the game and stuff like that. So, Yeah, new Cali fills 69 at hotmail.com. Yeah. <laughs> Fund our game. Yeah. Almost, almost. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and, and that was reassuring and, and the, the discussions were great and it ended up working out. Um, we had pitched, I think the very first pitch was way more humble than what the game ended up being. Um, oh, was, nice. He did a classic bait and switch. It was good. Well, we we, we didn't <laughs> expect it ourselves to, to yeah, become this no, big. Know. Yeah, um, for sure. But yeah, we pitched like a fairly, you know, humble thing, like a, a reasonable exploration game. Um, and through the support of the next couple of years, we realized, you know, that the game might, you know, deserve maybe a bit more. Yeah, it has deserved. that
1: potential to be something yeah. bigger. And-
0: uh, yeah, and and Kowloon, you know, helped us realize that and helped us, you know, take that route and and, and reimagine the game mm-hmm. as as something bigger. And that relationship, you know, there's not nothing nothing to say about those two years. It was so smooth, you know, like yeah. it, it it was as a, as an indie dev, you always hear about those horror stories and you're like that might be too good to be true you know i've heard so many bad things about publishers how come that contract is so small <laughs> and simple it doesn't <laughs> yeah, it's make
1: sense like it's contracts <laughs> like two pages or something yeah, yeah.
0: and yeah. you know we didn't we didn't see any red flags so we, we we went with it and it ended up being just how they advertised it it's like developer first you know just no bullshit kind of thing yeah and that was great for us because i don't know we we didn't know you know how those relationships usually go and we were yeah. kind of scared about them and, and
1: that was what's your first first time and I, I i totally get what you mean as well like navigating these things yeah like we i see so many other developers like especially here in australia or something you know hooking up in sort of, you know, business relationships or agreements and stuff with folks. And even when it looks fantastic, there's always this feeling of like, but like, Surely they're going to get us somehow. Yeah. Like it can't they be exactly. this way. Or you know, it's it's so hard. And I think even just navigating or understanding a contract for the first yeah. time, and all these weird things like first writer refusal, or you know, non disparagement agreements, or like all you know, licensing and everything and rights, and it's it can be incredibly overwhelming when you know you're just some some kids really at the start of this thing that came together to make a game. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's, they're, they're, yeah, they're obviously a, inc- incredible folks to work with. And we, we hear a lot of folks, you know, come onto the podcast who work with Kowloon and say the same For thing. sure. <laughs> yeah, and... and... Oh, sorry, go ahead. So you... Um, but that's, that's the Kowloon side of things, right? Yep. But you're also one of the founding members the of Kepler. Kepler Interactive. So yes. just... And correct me if I'm wrong at any point here, but I think I understand the Kepler model. Kepler mm-hmm. is a studio-owned publisher, essentially, yes. right? Where there are, yep. are there are nine of you? Uh, seven. Seven. Seven yep. founding studios that yep. came together to essentially found Kepler Interactive as mm-hmm. their own publisher, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, right? And so th- it's this incredible model where there's studios who are being published by this publisher actually all together own this publisher as well. Um, and so you're one of the founding studios that came on. Uh, it's yeah. it's it's so, it's an interesting model. So tell me about you know one thing is like looking at a contract for just funding your game. Yeah. And <laughs> but then when Alexi comes along with this incredible hairbrain scheme to yeah. you know, have create a publisher that the studios <laughs> own, how did you how did that conversation arise? Um, and how did you navigate that for the first for the first time? You know.
0: So that conversation um, started somewhere in twenty. 20- 20, I think, probably. Um, And basically, I think just the relationship we had with Kalun was so good. The milestones we hit were convincing enough, I guess, that they were like, they saw our Seb as a, you know, as a studio with with potential. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, to clarify, we are the smallest, less, least established studio of the bunch like by a mile like we're 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 the youngest and You're the, the baby the, sibling of the we weird the ba- for sure like yeah. we have the most to learn from everyone like i i i feel a little bit um the the, the imposter syndrome is definitely you know uh striking hard with the whole Kepler thing because i i sometimes <laughs> i i sometimes wonder you know I, it's it's gratifying that you know they believe in the studio and what we're making. Uh, yes, yeah. that that's so that's so amazing, but it's also like whew, we have a long ways to go before we're at the slow clap or you
1: know that level. Yeah, because um, the studios is is are uh, and again correct me if I'm wrong. You've got yep. A44 Timberline, mm-hmm. Slow Clap, who did Seafood. Mm-hmm. Um, you have Ebb Software, Shapefarm, Farm, yes. and then you. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's it. Um, and spread all over the world, like what Shape Farms in Tokyo, everywhere. and E44s in Wellington, and yeah. you know, slow clap. Are they in Paris or are they? They're in Paris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, all over the place. Alpha Channels in all Toronto. Yeah, yeah. And and
0: so we we knew some of those studios, some of mm-hmm. those folks. Uh, not everyone, but basically the you know the 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 center point of the whole thing is the 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 Calhoun team, well, Alex's team um, has allowed us to, you know, get to know each other and get to, you know, feel if it would be a good match. So basically, when we started having this conversation, I had chats with other studio founders. And basically, it's kind of, Dogs sniffing each other's butt a little <laughs> bit It's like, are, are we gonna be friends? You know, it's basically, are are we gonna be yeah, friends? Are,
1: do our tails wag or do our yeah, parents have to pull us apart? Yeah,
0: that's that's very much it, and that's yeah. still how it goes. Whenever we're considering new studios for investments and, and or publishing and things like that, it's very much based on studio culture, founders' mm-hmm. mindset, and 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 of course like. Um, the projects and the games, but yeah. it's, it's, it's a very human thing still. And so basically we had this conversation at pitched just the idea, which seemed, it, it felt like the Kowloon thing felt when we signed at first, which is like kind of a bit too good to be true. You know, yeah. it's like,
1: why doesn't this exist? Already, yet, you Yeah. know, yeah. And why us and yeah. Yeah, like is Alexi got the you know the longest play Ponzi scheme going on and are we are we victim number seven or something. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um we'll see. Well I mean so yeah, far but- <laughs> we don't you know so far it's been good. Yeah. Um but yeah, so we, we're we're having this discussion and we're considered to be a founding studio and you know we're we're in the situation where we I was said, uh, like, growing the studio and going for a more ambitious project has mm-hmm. worked out great for us, uh, from Fossilico to Chia. Mm-hmm. And we're in that position where we want to have the comfort to keep, you know, growing up to the point where we feel we're, we're at the right balance. Mm-hmm. And that, that, as any studio owner knows, that, gymnastic of having to look for funding alongside making games and stuff like that is the 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 hardest part probably um and that promise of kepler is that it alleviates a lot of that stress and a lot of that logistic and that was kind of a godsend for us because as a small studio we like every second, every minute counts, every minute of our time. We're very much hands-on as well, mm-hmm. Cherry and I on the production, and we're like if we can be in a comfortable like reassuring position where we don't have to chase the money, then we're definitely going to be able to make yeah. better games.
1: And that's one of the promises of Kepler as well, is that that whole operational side of running a Studio too is that they obviously have a huge amount of support. Like, So it's not just like Zach and Pierre and that that crew on the publishing side of things helping to publish your game but then you've even got like you know ashley on the talent side and joe on you know finance and all these people who are like setting up these this infrastructure and all these options and tools to be able to support creative founders and studio heads like yourselves to stay on the tools without all of the annoying logistics of running a studio right yeah, and as exactly. far as I understand, it's kind of a little bit a la carte to some degree too, right? Because what, Slow Clap has their own internal marketing crew as well? Do. Yeah, 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 they do. And, and we don't. And yeah. the
0: thing is, the, as a group, we kind of discuss, we're like, okay, there's a need. Some studios have a need for, let's say, like some QA support or yeah. whatever. And then as a group, we discuss, okay, who has that internally who hasn't like, would Mm -hmm. it benefit everyone to build something from scratch or to maybe trying to, trying to, to reach out to a partner to get like preferential rates for the whole group? Or, you know, there's many ways that, you know, being a bigger group of folks gives you way in in that type of stuff and basically what you need, you get well we need a lot more than stock lab probably yeah. you know we're so small we're learning we're growing yeah. we have we don't have like marketing expertise and things like that so we are definitely you know it trickles down to us uh yeah. which is amazing um well we, we try to you know give yeah. back as much as we can too on, on many fronts i think we're we, we can and i think we wouldn't have been considered if we didn't have anything to bring to the group as well
1: you have um, the best costume by far like that's, that's what you bring. <laughs> 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 yeah it's it's a pretty it's a pretty incredible model uh and it's amazing i could talk about the the kepler model and how interesting it is and how the studios interact and everything uh for for a long time but i yeah. am keen to you know focus on our and, and get back to cheer. so you sure. so you come on you know 2020 2021 uh to kepler and w- what stage of the, the game what stage is the game at at this point and how's it how's it trucking along um,
0: 2021, I think we were, we were looking at launching sometime in 2022 mm-hmm. at that point, um, which was a bit too optimistic. <laughs> um, and I think Carl and Kepler knew that yeah. and realized that, but they also realized that, you know, the game was worth some extra time and some extra effort and Mm -hmm. it didn't it didn't matter much uh, in the discussion it was like you know the game the potential for the game is here the partnerships Mm -hmm. we had signed with playstation and Mm -hmm. epic were you know putting us in a really great spot so Mm -hmm. it was it was like there was a time where we discussed about do we wait for chia to launch before having this discussion um, oh,
1: you mean about joining Kepler?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah interesting. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, but we figured that we want to tra- transition into the next thing with as little worry as possible. Yeah, and joining Kepler early was definitely uh, a step in that direction for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting.
1: So I want to actually just dive into some of the game's design and some of the amazing features in it. <laughs> because like I, I tell you what like <clears throat> there's a couple of things that were really joyous to me and I think that's really the word that I that I use when I interacted with Chia and m- my experience with it. One of them was like shredding on my ukulele uh, the, the ukulele so <laughs> in the game everyone you are uh, chia which is actually you know the the titular character so the name yeah. of the game Chia is also the name of the the game's protagonist the young young girl. How, how old is Chia around about? It's what, like 11 or 12 or something? 12, yeah, 12. Yeah, 12. 12. Um, and so you're playing as Chia, but you get given a ukulele by one of the characters early on. And uh, there are moments in the game where you're playing various instruments in a rhythm-based uh, sort of uh, mechanics and interactions. And the ukulele playing mechanic is so awesome. It's like this radial, <clears throat> excuse me, this radial menu with the notes on it and the rhythm comes in. And it's uh, actually amazing how rapidly you can fire between notes and everything. And there's, it's like a kind of a, a really forgiving system as well. How yeah. did you obviously, you know, Robert was on from the start of this, this start of this title, right? Like was yeah. the music of, was Robert like a huge influence there? Like, you know, do you think it, the music has such a presence because unlike a lot of projects, your composer was there from the very beginning or was, Music like a large part of your childhood growing up in New Caledonia it was just a no-brainer that it was going to be in the game from the start
0: um, in I such an
1: interactive way as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's kind of a mix of many things. Um, the, the New Caledonian culture inspiration thing, we decided we were going to draw from everything that makes it rich mm-hmm. um, and that includes language, landscapes, customs, You know, ethnicities, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, folklore, legends, and of course, music. Like music is a huge part of Mm -hmm. New Caledonian culture, and so we figured, okay, we need to portray that, you know, aspect of the culture in a a, a proper form. Um, And the actual mechanic, the ukulele. I think I was just getting into guitar, and I just wanted to prototype something cool. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it. it's so and cute. that was one of the very first mechanics that we that we designed but it, it kind of stems from that idea which was the philosophy from the very start mm-hmm. of the game is that we're gonna design this as a toy box and every mechanic should be its own little standalone fun yeah. enjoyable analogic thing yeah and so we basically designed everything around this and and because the music was such a big part we we felt like having an, a bespoke like music mechanic uh, yeah. was cool and then it, it was about finding it was basically trying to find ourselves an excuse to have a cool ukulele mechanic <laughs> yeah. is that how do we ingrain that into the story and the yeah. open world design and things like that so you end up having those you mentioned them, the music sequences where you have that rhythm gameplay mm-hmm. where is, and those moments are often like story story related where you're bonding with characters and things like yeah. that and and then in the open world, you can play the soul melodies, which are like magical tunes that affect the world. Yeah, they change time of day or different, yeah. different things. Similar or to like the s-
1: Ocarina in
0: um, yeah, Zelda. For yeah, for sure. And, and so it's, it's basically the way we've designed everything in the game is that we have that cool little standalone thing that works mm-hmm. on its own. How do we put it to use to make the open world exploration and the story more engaging? Yeah. Um, and and because you know, music is is a big part of New Caledon culture. Then it was a no brainer that one of those chunks of gameplay should be
1: music centric. Yeah, it's absolutely absolutely stunning. It's just so much fun as well, and it and it's also beautiful. It doesn't feel like you know expert mode on Guitar Hero. It's really forgiving, yeah. which which leads me into the next thing that really stood out about the game for me is. You can actually just through every one of those music experiences, you can just right-click and the prompt is on screen at the entire time. You can just right-click in the thumbstick and you just skip it. Like you yep. can, or sorry, you can autoplay, not skip. Yeah, It, um, it just like, I plays it for you and you can watch these um, beautifully directed, you know, uh, cinematics essentially of, you know, mm-hmm. the locals playing or singing or, you know, with your singing with your father. It's it's absolutely an interesting choice and also one I saw extended to the in the pause menu where it says skip this gameplay sequence yeah so obviously this is a bit of a topic in the industry that's been discussed a bit right is this notion of um of like there are people who are playing these games you know Bioware has been doing this for a number of times they're playing them just for the story they're playing them just for the experience they're not actually looking for the the challenge of the like yeah. dark souls like or you know some sort of call of duty making it to the next checkpoint to progress the the cutscene so talk to me about that decision that you and the team made to make the game or almost like make the story and the experience of cheer and new caledonia um, accessible in that way yeah um the the way
0: so for the music um gameplay segments i think it it came from a simple realization that some people just really dislike rhythm games and they really don't want to be bothered and that was like very pragmatic like that is that you're not gonna die on that hill like forcing people to play a rhythm game yeah exactly that's not you know what the game's all about It's it's a cool way to keep you engaged in the moment but if you're really not into it which i'm happy to hear that you're having a good time with it but let me tell yeah. you that some people online they're definitely not because that's the very that's a very specific type of gameplay that yeah you know you some people will well. yeah yeah some people will dig it some people will just never like it no matter how yeah. well designed it is so we figured you know let's just make it optional mm-hmm. the 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 scene and the music itself is good enough for it to be worth watching yeah. if you don't want to have the controller in and what it's happening then all good um that wasn't like a big leap of faith i think it's just like kind of a convenience thing yeah the the one that took a little bit more discussion and that was a little bit more um out there and and not standard for the industry i think you mentioned is the skip gameplay segment thing um and there's actually another one which is that in the main menu you can uh enter the chapter selection where you can basically jump into any chapter in the game without having played them before like you don't have to finish the game first to jump in and and so those two
1: you're breaking all all the golden rules (laughs) which which which
0: yeah that's the thing is that like are these rules it's it's kind of the way it's kind of the way i go about it is that if i can't justify why we've been doing it like this for you know as long as games have, have existed then maybe it's worth trying different like i mean when you pop in a dvd or whoever watches you know movies on discs anymore but you know you get you have a chapter selection like Damn. you don't have to watch the movie once to go to the yeah, end you can flip
1: to the last page of a book
0: exactly and that's yeah. like i'm i'm i i get that it's uh for games it, it sometimes comes from a technical limitation thing where mm-hmm. it's not as easy well if the game is very linear then it might might be easy but yep. for an open world game it might be not not as easy to have you jump at any time but it also comes i think from the status quo being that you know you have to play through it and i don't i can't find the justification yep. for gate gatekeeping the content behind time or skill or Mm -hmm. whichever you know player driven uh variable so i was like we're people are jumping in they are buying the game they should have access to the content that there is like if if they want to show a specific part of the game to someone let them just jump in if they get bored with with a a section of the game is that we did our design job wrong in a way so let's
1: you know yeah especially when you've got such a Special experience that you're trying to share with people. It's like it's more important that people are able to access that regardless of their ability or disability or inclination or interest. You know, it's not like you're just some game where you're shooting people from war torn countries, you know, like and there's no real grander or more important message. Like you spent so many years of your life and in consultation with so many people from the local region, and that this game actually means something and is quite especially in a way that a lot of games aren't it's you know it really struck me that your decision to make these various parts of the game just immediately accessible uh, regardless of skill or challenges yeah it's a really well, great I,
0: I, one. In, like i think our job is to is to make it so that people want to experience the whole yeah. thing as you entered it yeah. if they don't want to then either we've done something wrong or they just don't want to. And, uh, I love that we're, approach. Yeah. Great well, my to tell path. them how to.
1: Yeah. <laughs> All right. The other one that I love is the soul jump, man. Like that, to me, the the game, the moment I got the soul jump and I sort of realized the possibilities of, you know, and it's, it's something that we've seen in a couple, you know, in some different games, obviously, like David O'Reilly's everything and stuff like that. Uh, mm-hmm. But, I mean, it, it just... It's amazing how many gameplay possibilities it opens up. Like just, you know, when you're diving, for clam pearls and you're running out of oxygen and you shoot into a surgeon for your sure. And then you shoot into a you shoot into a dolphin. Also, by the way, the first time I got into a dolphin, I realized it was probably the fastest way to travel around the island was like a, <laughs> an epic moment for me playing Chia. It was so much fun doing flips out of the water. I was like annoying my partner while she was trying to work, whilst I'm showing her all my back flips that I'm doing out of the water as a dolphin. So talk to me a little bit about a soul jump. Was soul jump something that is linked to folklore within New Caledonia and the peoples? Or was was it just again like this is really fucking cool? We played David O'Reilly's everything. <laughs> like, let's get it in there. Um, well, just like
0: the ukulele, I think I was really getting into processing animals through magic. Then you know. in in the game, not in real life. Like, no, in, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, and I, I'm just kidding. I, I so that came from. To be perfectly honest, that came from a very um, gameplay centric id like we wanted a cool like feature game changing feature Mm -hmm. you know Uh, it didn't come from a specific uh folklore story or a legend or something like that it did tie into some afterwards but i'm gonna explain but it was we were like okay what's gonna be we want Chia to have that special ability a special mechanic that's Mm -hmm. gonna make the game um different um and it, it went through many iteration at first it was just like a, a telekinesis thing where you could move objects around
2: mm-hmm.
0: then it evolved into a soul jump type of mechanic where you could process the object but chia would stay in place and she would kind of be in a trance like oh, okay, yep. state And when you would unpossess them, you would go back to your body. But that wasn't super fun for locomotion because you would always go back to square one. It didn't Mm -hmm. allow you to combo stuff. And it slowly evolved into the actually like warping into the object or the animal and then jumping out of it and things like that. And the moment it clicked for us that um, it being centered around animals mostly um, was a good fit is that... A lot of new Caledonian folklores and legends are about anthropomorphic animals, like shape-shifting humans taking the shape of animals and vice versa. And and it's it's very much uh, centered around those themes. So like thematically it really fits um for the game as well. Mm -hmm. Um, which kind of like is the way we designed everything in the game, is that we had a need or an idea that we wanted in there and Mm -hmm. we looked at it through the prism of new caledonian culture and it all like very often shaped the way that specific thing could fit properly in the game yeah and yeah it was just it was just a fun way to make the game more again like physical you know and tactile we really wanted stuff to react which is why like all our foliage is like physics driven and 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 like being able to just process a physics driven coconut was a fun <laughs> idea and, and we went with it. And then it kind of fed into the whole open world exploration rhythm that, you know, uh, kind of built itself as we were building those mechanics. But yeah, that's kind of where it came from.
1: I love that line, the ability to possess a physics-driven coconut. That's like just in isolation, out of context. It's probably <laughs> one of the best lines on this podcast. Sometimes when I wake up in the morning, I feel like I'm really just possessing a physics-driven coconut as well. You know? like, there are just some days where it feels like that. Um, well, Phil, it's just like, I, you know, oh, that was the other thing that I wanted to mention too, is your film background as well here. And I can imagine like in your animation background and and your eye there, and, and imagine as well, not just yourself, but folks on the team who are this way inclined to, it really comes through in this game. There is, I think, for such a special game, focusing on such a special culture and a part of the world that, like you said, is is rarely or very seldom, um, you know, sort of experienced by anyone outside of New Caledonia in this way or has, has a production of this scale, you know, focused on it. Um, it's just so incredible the way in which some of these, these moments in the game, like in these cultural moments, whether it be, you know, like the Kotum or the, you know, and all of the ways in which you're exchanging that, which is a fantastic way to ground and give context to Fetch Quest as well. It's like it fits so perfectly into an open world game. I love it. Um, <clears throat> but then there were, there were moments in the game where I was like genuinely moved. I remember there's the sequence where... Uh, uh, it's with the the tribe that you go and see to get the the totem, the the, the sculpted or the wood carved yeah. totem, and you sit there and you play the. Oh, I'm going to forget the names, but you know the, the the like the rhythm maracas on your feet, like the bracelets yeah. and the sonai, so yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, you know, and I'm I'm there and I'm shredding with the <laughs> you know with those. And there was actually at a moment where I think it was about two thirds of the way through that sequence where, you know. Uh, there's, you know, the tribe have come together and they're dancing and cheers they're playing where I actually hit that autoplay button and I just sat there and I watched it. And the way in which that sequence is shot and framed and everything felt like a kind of a cinematic treatment that, again, like we were talking about with Minecraft or with, you know, Blendo games, and obviously you've got a a production values that are higher level than that, but... At the end of the day, you know, there's a simplistic beauty to your your art direction and style of cheer. It just felt so wonderfully framed, and and it felt like those those cultural moments were really given a chance to shine through your and the team's eyes. So, talk to me a little bit about the actual cinematic process, because the one thing I mean, not to <laughs> not to sort of like um, sort of belittle you and your team's work or anything. It's obviously a grand achievement, but the, the, the games industry now is very good at building large open world environments, right? You can build yeah. those quite quickly and then populating them and getting them right is a different story, right? There's obviously a lot of polish and care involved in that. But one of the things that blew me away about this game, literally from the opening scenes, was how much animation is in this game. Yeah. Um. So talk to me a little bit about the cinematic process of like not just how you went about framing these things or, you know, storyboarding them potentially or actually setting up... You know how you're communicating these cinematically but the, the the actual achievement here and the gargantuan amount of work animation wise how did you what how many people are on the arvoseb team uh we're we're nine when we should uh, chat. <laughs> yeah, i mean what the fuck, phil explain <laughs> how i guess is the question i
0: have here um so for for the cinematic aspects of the game um you mentioned i think my background in film kind of dictated a lot of the direction for that stuff mm. i I, it's I, beautiful I shot thank you so much that's that's super super great to hear because it's definitely a lot more effort than sometimes you think it's going to be worth like mm. it's it like we don't have um narrative systems to tell the story in the game like we don't have like pop-up dialogue boxes we don't like have automatic like um dialogue cameras or anything like that it's all like when there's a story moment it's bespoke it's like framed on purpose mm-hmm. and animated on purpose which which was a lot of work but i i don't know as a player i really there there's a lot of of great ways to tell stories in games but i think i personally am moved when it's told with voice and cinematic framings you know i'm i'm mm. always like i always take a step back from the game when i when i have to read dialogue boxes and things like that i don't mm. know uh, maybe it's the, the type of game i gravitate towards but i really wanted to give the game that cinematic treatment because i think it's the the ultimate way to kind of, I don't know, get out the most emotion and the most grandiose aspects of anything you're trying to portray. Um, It's, it's hard to, I, I, it's definitely doable, but I don't think I'd be able to make someone cry with a, a dialogue pop up, you know, yeah. I, I don't think my writing is is strong enough for that. There's it's just a thing about camera work, timing, music working in synergy to create emotion that I think I'm starting to nail down, and I really wanted to, you know, bring that to the game because that's I think the only way I I'm able to portray what I feel uh, about those things. Um, mm-hmm and and the the pipeline was fairly simple to be honest i think like unreal engines cinematic tools are very efficient like we didn't have any major issues with them um the most hard work was as you mentioned the animation it was all keyframed. um like our art style kind of allows for you know um some shortcuts here and there we don't have to 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 be like super super precise yeah. in like the facial animations and be things a little like bit that
1: more rudimentary and it still communicates and the, yeah the art style sort of shaves off that margin of error there
0: exactly and then on top of that you know you add like some dramatic framings and good music and good timings mm-hmm. and you get out of that you get you get a lot more than than what you put in sometimes and sometimes it's just, you know, it's hard to capture that specific synergy of things. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a fleeting
1: thing. I totally, I totally hear what you're saying. Enrique. It's like, I mean, there's, there are arguments to be made for, you know, Tech, I mean, we had Segono on the podcast, and I mean, I think if you go and look at their their Opus series of games, all of the reviews say this game made me cry. So yeah. we can leave the text box triggered crying to to Segono. they've <laughs> got that on lock. But this, like, especially for someone like yourself who has this, you know, you would say like classically or tertiary trained in in. You know the cinematic language. It's it's one of the toolboxes of games, and we do it so yeah. effectively. And I think augmenting that experience that games have of like placing yourself, role playing, um, and having that agency, moving around the world, and affecting the environment and its people, yeah. and then complementing that with these incredibly well you know well framed yeah. cinematic moments is 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 yeah. really really affecting. And, and it really was with Chia, especially considering when you go into it, you know how authentic um, the experience and what's being communicated and shared with you in regards to just like the, the culture of the island. Um, yeah. Because I, just I, for- <laughs> Sorry, go ahead.
0: No, I, I was going to agree with you about, you know, the, that cinematic language being a part of, you know, a video game maker's toolkit, um, right? Toolkit for sure. But I also think that there are ways to you know integrate them better to gameplay than what we did i i do like that you know sit back and watch aspect Mm -hmm. i also think that for our next project i have really high expectations about you know how we're going to be able to ingrain those narrative moments into more interactive stuff i mean we tried with chia for um, you know we have those music sequences that are basically cinematic but you're also engaged while playing we have uh, you know mini games here and there that have you know you're telling a bit of story but you're also you know cooking traditional yeah, food at the same I time and you're engaged in that so stuff was really great yeah and, and that stuff I want to keep digging into because I'm, I'm happy that I have a, like a, a base of skills to kind of make proper cinematics but mm-hmm. now I want to you know, keep players engaged while they're experiencing that more cinematic feeling. Mm. Uh, I don't think those are like, I think those are complementary rather than, you know, Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I want to go to keep exploring on that front for sure.
1: Exciting stuff. Well, Phil, I think that's a beautiful place to leave it with a promise of future things to come. I uh, thank <laughs> you so much for joining us today. Congratulations again on Chia. Uh, for anyone listening, you can grab Chia currently on PlayStation Plus for your PS5 or PS4, and it's also available on Epic Game Store, right? Yeah. Yeah. that's it thank you thank you so much for having me
0: i'm sorry if i rambled a bit a bit too much here and there but it was it was amazing to deep dive into those topics with you
1: no this is the podcast is for rambling We're oh, like we find it. the creatives who can ramble the most effectively <laughs> and we bring them on the podcast one thing as well that i want to point out which is actually my favorite thing about the podcast so far is your csi jumper oh. your sweatshirt that you're wearing right here <laughs> it's, like, it's 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 the See, it's Las, Vegas Las Vegas one Vegas as unit. well, like the original one, the only <laughs> real one. The only one. Okay, <laughs> a bit of controversy on the podcast. We love that. All right, man. Well, hey, um, really great to hang out again. Um, looking forward to bumping into you in the next, you know, next spot around the world where we do so. Sounds great. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you for joining us for The Game Makers Notebook. For more information on
1: the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, our podcasts, and our other initiatives, please visit www.interactive.org.